0: Good morning, people of this planet Earth. It is I, that voice in your head again. The siren call that you cannot resist. Yes, the stream of Random Podcast is back in its worst form, the solo cast. So, do not attempt to run to the door. Do not attempt to hit stop no you're trapped in this episode with me for the next hour or you're gonna be bored to death i'm so sorry the torture cast is about to start <clears throat> you do not have the willpower to resist yeah it's 5:30 in the morning we have a late start we the royal we meaning me and you and uh, there's even other people out this morning already these dogs have flashlights on their collars that's pretty amazing good morning nice lights Dogs got flashlights on their collars. What people never think of. Mmm, that's good coffee. Good, good coffee. So we have Venus rising in the east. It's already so late. She's already over the tree line. Mars is up high. The sky is clear. The day is beautiful. Yesterday we had an amazing family day, Thanksgiving. The food was so delicious. Company was good. We sat outside. And um, even the chickens had Thanksgiving. We've had a uh, compost bin. Brewing for them for one year, where we threw away their first litter when they were babies and all the boxes and everything, just threw them in there, leaves on top. And over the whole year, it's been compacting down. And yesterday, we uh, tipped it over spilled it out for them and it was a smorgasbord of bugs and worms and everything and they were picking through that for hours and they had their own little Thanksgiving fest. It was great and also the chickens uh, we've been using the pitchfork to turn over the ground to, to dig up a couple of inches and dig up worms for them. And they love that, and it's funny because the chickens actually now come up and peck at the um they'll chase after me and peck at the uh, pitchfork now, like asking for more. It's like they're associating the pitchfork with the worms it's um it's almost like they understand. So we're building a great relationship me and my my chickens. Communicating on a really basic level of food and exploring new territory together. So, today we're going to talk about the master and his emissary. So, we have talked about uh, my theory of meaning with the left and right brain split and the the symbols being created between and it turns out that there was a ten year old book on this very topic they mentioned it yesterday on the no agenda show it hit me like a ton of bricks obviously I'm not well read enough on this topic so um And there's no new book networks books on this because it's actually an older book. Um so I listened to the RSA talk where they they diagram the thing out. And I can give you kind of the lowdown from that. <clears throat> so put simply, he drew this triangle out. Um And the tip of the triangle is the left brain, meaning the point. The left brain is on point. Um, It's focused on the details of here and now. And it's also empty in terms of context and meaning. And the right brain is the open side of the triangle extending to infinity which is the detached self. Jocko would say you have, to re, you have to detach from the situation and see things from all around. And that's the right brain according to this guy's theory. It's the master who is not concerned with everyday life. It's it's quite the uh, interesting theory, and I love it. Um, And I want to dedicate some episodes to covering different um, aspects of this. I thought I would first just give you my free-form thoughts, and then we can listen to some supporting clips and comment on them. So, if you haven't um, hit stop by now... You're never going to be able to because this is going to suck you in. All right. (laughs) Oh, and some other commentary. Uh, Trump held a press conference, and the the reporters are like, Oh, so you're going to leave? Are you going to leave when it's uh, November 20th? He's like, Sure, I'll leave, no problem. But that's a long time until then, basically, he said. And it's got a lot of evidence to show. So, looks like uh, Trump is staging his reality TV show now. And it's going to get quite interesting. Quite interesting. These guys got an animated Santa Claus in their window. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so, um. Looks like life is happening with our co-host as well. We're going to excuse him for today because life happens. And we're going to forge on. Oh, and another update for my personal. So I, um, I created a, uh, organization, um, I created I created a, in, I created a uh, organization on GitHub. I think it's called um, Embedded RDFA, and I put together um, examples of how we can um, embed RDF in HTML as a uh, how we can embed the RSS on the metadata tags inside of HTML as quoted or escaped. Yeah, it's escaped RDFa. So by escaping the content and putting it inside of a special block, that's also escaped. Um, <clears throat> we can target it. And I also provide um, provisions for unescaping it or ignoring the escapes using the example tag and I wrote up a whole blog post on that I'll put a link into the show notes I'm sure you non-technical people are like what the hell is he talking about well the, the short story the gist, gist of it is we we want to um, provide a way to save money on hosting podcasts on normal blogs still be able to provide metadata information and you can't do that on WordPress and, and blogger inside of the existing systems using the free versions of them um, because they limit what you can actually put in your blog so I'm talking about escaping the quoting the metadata as HTML but a certain type of quoted um, HTML, It's like it's quoted, it's a quote, it's escaped, so it's not really valid HTML in terms of it's just text. But if you unescape it, you will um, you will find what you're looking for so it's gonna be interesting and I guess I have to uh, create some modifications to existing parsers to accept that And it'll be good for other forms of link data. And um, I also think we can embed, we can escape the contents of HTML tags inside of the podcast transcript. So we can say like, iTunes explicit true. Or like, Begin (laughs) tags, tag, iTunes, explicit is true, and tag, and tags. So that would be like something we can just say in our podcast, and that would set the explicit flag for this episode. And just by adding it to the uh, episode in terms of audio, and then adding it to the transcript, we would then interpret the transcript, has instructions. So but then the question is are we talking about it? So if we if we wrap it in example, so we could say like escaped RDFA example, you know, iTunes explicit, then that wouldn't be that would be an ignore section for the um, for the command processors. Like ignore this. Right? And if we say escaped RDF um, A embedded, that would mean turn it live. So make a live example or a live command. So we're basically adding in a new wrapper command around the quoted content so that the processor knows that we're not just talking about it. We actually want to do it. I suppose we could also add an attribute like ignore equals true or this is really an example true into the uh, embedded to allow to use that as an example and then you just strip out the ignore flag to turn it live so we're going to have to be able to specify this without example Or we wrap the example in an ignore flag. I mean, we're going to have different ways of doing this. So basically, you don't want the processor to pick everything up. Anyway, I'm sure I've confused the hell out of you. And, um, I have a write-up on this. (laughs) So. Well, I don't have a write up on the podca- on the on the processing of the um I don't have a write up yet on the processing of the uh content the transcript yet, but we will get there. And the processing of the transcript is equivalent to the voice command processor really. <laughs> so, we're going to have real-time, uh, in-band and out-band of voice processing. Like, process the voice while listening to the podcast, or process the voice while recording the podcast, or process the voice after recording the podcast. Well, that's, again, that's listening, so you have two options let's say before publishing and after publishing, for the listener and for the producer. Okay. Boy, I bet some of you are just hitting their stop button or hitting next. And I'll give you some warning. I'll have to give you some fair warning. Yeah. But he, he, this guy is basically saying that words are created as symbols between the right and the left brain. So that's interesting. And he's also saying that the right brain, the master, cannot be attached to daily things. Otherwise, it'll lose its superpower of being detached as soon as it attaches. Now, this is what Buddha said. He said... Um, if you are attached, you will be involved in the daily cycle of karma, and you have to remain detached. And Lao Tzu, the old master of Tao, also said some very similar things, saying that the master is everywhere and nowhere at once. I mean, we can reinterpret Lao Tzu, or Lao Tzu, as talking about this. So I like that so far. Well, why don't we um, pull up some clips now, and um, move into the second part of the show, which is gonna be the clip segment. Now we actually have an interview with this guy, the author. And um, they ask him some questions. And the first question is like, well, why did you call it the master and the emissary? And he was basically saying that um, people always think of the uh, left brain, the detailed brain, as the master. But it's not. Well, let's play some clips from him and I will comment on those. So we're gonna get into the second part of the show. Thanks for not hitting stop at this point. I hope you enjoy my little comedy sketches sometimes and have a great day. Uh, well, you're gonna hear more from me, but this is the end of the first part.
1: Well, I have a question. I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about why you specifically chose the title, the master and the emissary.
2: And yeah, that, that's to, uh, uh, in an attempt to explain what I believe to be the relationship between the two yeah. brain hemispheres. Um, that like most other things in life, they're unequal and asymmetrical. And that one of the brain hemispheres sees more than the other. That is the one that I've designated the master mm-hmm. and is the right hemisphere. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a weird inversion because people often think of the left hemisphere as the one that's like
2: dominant. They do, they do. Traditionally, that's been the case, Uh, but um, as is becoming ever clearer, the right hemisphere, uh, this has been a, a real steep learning curve for some people, but the right hemisphere is in many ways more reliable, sees more, understands more than the left hemisphere, which mm. is like a, a sort of high-functioning high bureaucrat in a way. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of the story was simply that certain matters needed to be delegated, not only because, as it were, the master couldn't do everything. He needed an emissary to go abroad and do some of it, but also that he must not get involved with a certain point of view, otherwise he'd lose what it was that he did to see. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm really saying there, is that there's a good reason uh, why, evolutionarily speaking, the two brain hemispheres are separate.
1: And When you say, well I have a question, I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about why you specifically chose the title, the Master and the Emissary.
2: yeah, that, that's to, uh, uh, in an attempt to explain what I believe to be the relationship between the two yeah. brain hemispheres. Um, that like most other things in life, they're unequal and asymmetrical. And that one of the brain hemispheres sees more than the other, that is the one that I've designated the master, mm-hmm. and is the right hemisphere.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a weird inversion because people often think of the left hemisphere as the one that's like
2: dominant. They do, they do. Traditionally that's been the case, Uh, but um, as is becoming ever clearer, the right hemisphere, this has been a, a real steep learning curve for some people, but the right hemisphere is in many ways more reliable, sees more, understands more than the left hemisphere, which mm-hmm. is like a, a sort of high-functioning high bureaucrat in a way. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of the story was simply that certain matters needed to be delegated, not only because, as it were, the master couldn't do everything, he needed an emissary to go abroad and do some of it, but also that he must not get involved with a certain point of view, otherwise he'd lose what it was that he did see. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm really saying there, is that there's a good reason uh, why, evolutionarily speaking, the two brain hemispheres are separate.
1: And when you say, does...
0: Yeah, so I'm just remembering this old, um, this old, uh, book that I read on the theory of, uh... Subconscious power and belief. I think it was on magic in terms of making things happen. Like the secret type stuff. Anyway, occultism. And they basically showed this symbol. And they were saying that by doing a casting a spell or doing a ritual or doing something to achieve some effect that you would immerse yourself in the details of the operation and then you would let yourself go and this these symbols would spiral down into a zero point <clears throat> and go into the subconscious and then come out on the other side in the world as a action or a reaction to that. And um I was just thinking that that kind of ta- speaks to the right left brain split so that the left brain would do some ritual or some action and then let go. And this action would then travel through or this ritual would travel through the right left brain split and then show up on the right brain which is dis involved in everything and it would be the letting go or the releasing from the detail oriented left brain and then the disattached right brain would kick in and um, and pick up on what's happening or what was wished for and act as an agent basically of the universe Um, well I guess this is also the question of does it take sides does it get involved so I guess praying and All types of occultism and magic and all that stuff, and the secret, all of that is just asking for your uh, right brain, the master brain, to get involved and to attach itself to something. And Buddha said that that is the root of all karma and all evil, is the attachment. Getting involved and causing the endless cycle of karma again. So maybe even the uh, right brain is detached in terms of a quantum state. It's in a non-entangled state or a differently entangled state. Existing on... In a safer space, let's say, than the daily grind. I know I'm talking spooky stuff or mysticism stuff. And I know that uh, people who are... um, People who have uh, knowledge of the situation who don't want to be named will be mocking me and saying, You have no proof! You're talking bullshit! So, anyway, I'm just going to throw this clip in here because, you know, it's my show and I can do that. So. Oh, I just wanted to throw in that I heard an actual owl going, ooh-hoo, ooh-hoo, when I first started up this morning. And I have to take a picture of this house here for you guys. Boy, things are just fl- flooding into my head listening to this. Um, <clears throat> you know, I have been uh, working on this introspector project for such a long time, and... Um, you know, it takes the view of the compiler writer and tries to understand the data that the compiler writer has about the program. And the compiler writer has the master disinterested view. It's not interested in your particular application. It's not interested in your particular problem. You know, you're interested in your particular problem. The compiler writer or the programming language creator is not they're solving a different problem. They're solving the problem of creating a generic tool that's usable, right, to solve many people's problems. So the compiler writer is the disinterested party. You know, the compiler is the disinterested party. And, um... The um, introspector idea is that we can gain knowledge from the disinterested party and uh, give it to the interested party. So take some data from the right brain and give it to the left brain so that it can um, work more effectively. I mean, that's a question if that's even possible. But it definitely puts this whole thing into perspective that I've been doing for many years. And I remember when I worked at Intel, I met one of the compiler experts... And they brought him in personally to work on this project. And he would sit down and he would draw out the uh, operations and the diagram out the assembly code instructions and try and understand them. It was quite amazing to watch him work. And um, that was like he was the disinterested party actually becoming interested. In um, optimizing the compiler for this particular application because Intel owned the chips and the compiler. Wow, I wonder if I could even get in trouble talking about this. Damn! Am I gonna have to censor this clip? Well, it's no secret that they own all of that, and they can call on their people to help out on projects. So, um, and for the open source world, uh, you are the compiler writer. At least you could be. If it wasn't goddamn hard. All right. Let's continue listening. I mean, I'm I'm stopping on the first ten minutes, and just inserting all this stuff. But that's just the way it is, kids. Sorry. The two brain hemispheres are separate.
1: And when you say d- doesn't get involved, what's the advantage of of that that detachment from the involvement?
2: Well, it's that. Um, l- Ramoni Cajal, who you know yep. is a great histopathologist. Yep. Um, one of his findings was that in primates there are more inhibitory in neurons than in any other animals, and there are more in humans than, than in any other primate. And um, there are many that, more. And that's pro- speaking proportionally. M- Proportionately, mm-hmm. and there are more kinds as well. So mm. we think that about 25% of the entire um, cortex is, is inhibitory. Right. So it's a very strong effect. And the corpus callosum seems to be um, very largely, in the end, inhibiting function in the other hemisphere. And that is, I think, because over time, the two hemispheres have had to specialise. There are reasons why actually it can't be... I'm not going to go into now, but I was talking about um, just a few days ago at the evolutionary psychiatry um, meeting. But there are reasons why the corpus callosum has had to become more selective and to inhibit quite a lot of what's going on in the other hemisphere because it enables the two to do distinct things Mm -hmm. and of course they have to work together but usually good teamwork doesn't mean everyone trying to do the same role right so differentiation is very important for two elements to work together and inhibition is one way of doing that so effectively the two takes on the world if you like that the hemispheres have are not easily compatible, right. um, and we're not aware of that because at a level below consciousness, there's a meta control center that is bringing them together. So in ordinary f- experience, we don't feel we're in two different worlds, but effectively mm. we are, mm. and they have different qualities and different goals, different values, different, different um, takes on what is important in the, in the world.
0: So here he says that inhibition And different forms of inhibition make up 20% of the brain and the higher species have more inhibition than the lower species. So this is an interesting thought. Now, when you meet people and they're like, well, that's my job. And they try and inhibit other people from getting involved. I guess that could be a natural consequence of the distribution of work across a society and people playing different roles and inhibiting each other. And um, maybe my lack of inhibition is just a sign of my underdevelopment of that or not understanding that. Bam! Boom! And when people encounter me and they see that I'm not inhibited, they try and inhibit me. They're like, oh God, we have to put this thing under containment. He's just a wild child. Well, they say the fool who persists in his folly will become wise. So anyway, that's something to think about. So they're talking about inhibition and um, how different parts of the brain function. And I'm also saying that on the macro scale, people assume also different roles. I guess we get our first um, dialectic or dichotomy here between the uh, Emissary and the master here. The eternal fight between the right and the left brain. Between involvement and detachment. I think we could uh, define a stake in the ground and a boundary right there. Between inhibition and permission. Shared responsibility and standoffishness. Yep. Well, on the introspector idea, you know, basically, we want to increase the bandwidth between the two hemispheres and say, oh, why don't you give me a dump or a snapshot of what you've got over there, Mr. Right Brain? Give me some clues and uh, let me develop tools to understand that. Better in the context of my personal perspective for my project. <clears throat> okay, well, let's uh, think compiler plugins and what meaning or whatever it might have.
1: So, so let me let me ask you about I've, I've got I've, I've developed a conceptual scheme for for thinking about the relationship between the two hemispheres, and I'm kinda, I've been curious about what you th- think about it and how it might map on to, or not, your, your ideas. So I've been really interested in the orienting reflex, and right. discovered by Sokolov, I think, back in about 1962, right? He was a student of Lurias, and the orienting reflex is manifested when something, at least in their terminology, something unpredictable happened. I've thought much more recently that it's actually when something undesired happened happens and right. the laboratory constraints um, obscured that and that turned out to actually be important. But right. um, so and I, I kind of put together the ideas of the orienting reflex with some of the things I learned from Jung, Jung's observations on the function of art and dreams. Right. So imagine that you have a conceptual scheme laid out right. and we could say that it's, it's, it's linguistically mediated, it's enforced on the world and then there are exceptions to that to that conceptual scheme, and yes. those are anomalies, those yes. are the anomalies. things that are unexpected. And the orienting reflex orients you towards those. Yes. And so those are things that aren't fitting properly in your conceptual scheme that you have to figure out. Yes. So the first thing you do is react defensively, essentially, yes. because yes. it might be dangerous. Yes. And then your exploratory systems are activated. Yes. So, and the exploratory systems, first of all, are enhanced attention, just yes. from an intentional yes. perspective. But then, and this is where the art issue sort of creeps into it, it's, the idea would be something like the right hemisphere generates an imaginative landscape of possibility that could map that anomaly. So you can kind of experience that yep. if it's at night, you know, like say yep. you're sitting alone at night, it's two mm-hmm. or three in the morning, you're kind of tired. Um, maybe you're in an unfamiliar place and there's a noise that happens that shouldn't happen in another room. Yep. You can play with that. So for mm-hmm. example, if you open the door slightly and put your hand in to turn on the light, mm. and you watch what happens, your mind will fill with imaginative representations of yes. what might be yes. in the room, yes. right? So it's like the, the 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 landscape of anomaly will be populated with yes. something like imaginative demons, yes. and that's a first-pass approximation. Yes. Yes. And it seems to me that that's a right hemispheric function. And then that, as you explore further, that imaginative domain, which which circumscribes what might be, is constrained and constrained and constrained and constrained until you get what it actually is, and that's specialized and routinized. It's something like that. Does that seem like a reasonable... What do you think about that?
0: So, that's an interesting uh, take that Peterson has. And he's talking about the generation of possibilities and the... um, interaction between the left and the right brain. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, quite quite the uh, description right there. Another thing, he's talking about orienting reflex to orient. So, um, the OODO or OODA loop is observe, orient, decide, and act. Um, and the orient is what turns your attention and your focus. The tip of the spear, the tip of the triangle, it's turning that towards an anomaly or a um, <clears throat> a point that is, you know, worthy of your attention. And, um, that is quite interesting. The, um, the orientation has meaning to face the enemy. And so you observe, you detect an anomaly, you orient towards that anomaly, you make a decision, you take an action, O-O-D-A.
1: That. Yes, yes. Does that seem like a reasonable? What do you think about that? As I a love that for, for
2: a whole ro- host of reasons. Um, one is you mentioned uh, defense, and one of the uh, ideas behind my hypothesis is that the right hemisphere is on the lookout for predators, right. wh- whereas the left hemisphere is looking for prey. And th- this has been confirmed in many species of both I'd never heard that am- second part. Amphibians and mammals, yes. Um, uh, so when
1: you're in left hemispheric mode, you're more in predator mode, and when you're in right hemispheric well, mode, it, it, you're more I in predator mode. Well, I mean, of course,
2: mode. we are not uh, lizards or toads or marmosets or whatever, but in animals, generally speaking, yeah. uh, this is the case. Getting and grasping, and after all, our left hemisphere is the one that controls sure, the grasping sure. head, um, is left hemisphere. and. Uh, exploring, which you mentioned, yep. is more right hemisphere, and when the when a frontal function is deficient, um, people often go into automatic mode of the hand of that side, and with the left hand, it's usually exploratory motions, meaningless ones, but trying to explore the environment, and with the right hand, it's grasping pointlessly at things, so they, as it were, their automatic thing is with the with the left hand, the right hemisphere to explore, with the right hand, the left hemisphere to grasp. So right. when you said exploratory, and you said defensive, and you said also opening up to possibilities, these are all aspects of the way the right hemisphere, I often say the right hemisphere opens up to possibility, right. whereas the left hemisphere wants to close down to a certainty. Right, right. right. And you need That's both chaos of chaos and order issues. Chaos I I and say. order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and, and you know, I loved in, in your talk, you talked about um,
0: a chaos and, and order but it, it. okay chaos and order ying and the yang the dao the way and the way is where they two meet the two meet over time in the center and life happens it's amazing how Um, this is tying into everything that we've learned so far, and we can assimilate this new knowledge and adapt it and soak it up like a sponge. And I'm happy that you, my listener, my dear listener, are here with me to enjoy this. I want you to enjoy this with me because something special is happening on this podcast, We are learning. We are sharing knowledge. I am learning. And um, people who have knowledge of the situation question, why are we doing this? What is the point? Right? Well, this is the point. This experience that we're having right now, this learning experience together, this is um, why I'm doing it it really is and you could say well why do you need to record this what's the point of recording it well it's my record why do I need to publish it well you know what if I don't publish it where am I going to store this stuff and um, where am I gonna get my feedback from and my encouragement right why do I need encouragement and feedback? Well, you know, it is, I'm not completely un- unhuman. I do re- want some kind of positive feedback on what I'm doing. And, um, you know, what's the point of it all? Well, the point is, is that we're learning, and as we learn, we're growing and this podcast will be improving and eventually it will solidify in season 3 into a set of let's call them canonical canonical uh, the canon of the stream of random like episodes that have an order and understanding maybe the canon will come in in season 4 after we have uh, edited And put things together. Then we're going to reiterate the most important concepts that we found. And um, but I think those can. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what we do. Let me go put my uh, stream of random podcast link on this white whiteboard that they have here. I should make that my profile, the picture for today's episode. Let's see if they have any chalk left. Or maybe they took the chalk away. <clears throat> Let's see.
2: If I may say so, you seem, and maybe you'd like to gloss that a little. You seem to suggest that it would be good. We can't get rid of chaos, but you seem to imply that it would be better if we could. Whereas my view is that chaos and order uh, are necessary to one another, and there is a proper sort of um, harmony or yeah, balance. Well,
1: yeah. Well, okay. That, I mean, I think that's that's as deep a question as you could possibly ask. I would say, good. in some sense, I mean, <laughs> some of the. I would say yeah. there's a central theological issue there, and yes. the issue there is that, you know, in Genesis, the proper environment of humanity is construed as a garden. Yes. And so I see that as the optimal balance of chaos and order, because right. nature is, is, flourishes and is yes. prolific and is chaotic, yes. and then if you add harmony to that, you yes. have a garden, yes. so you live in the garden, you're supposed to tend the garden. Okay, so now the garden is created, it's a walled space because Eden is a walled space, it's a it's a walled garden. That's it. Now the thing is, as soon as you make a wall, you try to keep what's outside out, but you can't because Mm. the boundaries between things are permeable. So if you're going to have reality and you're going to have a bounded space, you're going to have a snake in the garden. Yes. Now then the question is, what the hell should you do about that? Should you make the walls so high that no snake can possibly get in? Or should, or should you allow for the possibility of snakes, but make yourself strong enough so that you can contend with them? And I think there's, there's an answer there that goes deep to the question of even maybe why theological question of why God allowed evil to exist in the world. I agree with you. It's like, well, do you make people safe or strong? And strong is better and safe might not be commensurate with being like, it might not be possible to exist and to be safe.
0: Wow, he talks about being safe versus strong. Well, obviously, Peterson has a certain position, and he's a well-known rabble-rouser. So he's going to be for the strong versus safe.
2: But I'm thinking
0: about these walled gardens approach to Facebook and all that. And um, our co-host, Harry Reid, he um, sent us a picture where he was posting something Um, on Facebook and got censored. Something about fast food. And I was thinking, wow. So big corporations have finally found a way to censor people complaining about them. And they're like, oh, that's false information. And um, it's really the establishment now is going to take over the censorship and eventually they're going to say they've already started to say if you actually like on Twitter if you like something that has been questioned they're going to say oh, did you know that liking false information is bad or something like that like scaring the slaves and eventually all of this is going to go against your social score and, um, you know then when they, uh run out of, uh, soup bones and they need some new candidates to, to sacrifice for, uh, feeding the people, you know, you might be next. And, uh, I'm not saying they're they're literally going to eat people, but they're going to, you know, just take away all of your, take away all of your livelihood. I mean, just think about what's happening to now, the non-essentials. It's like they're being sacrificed on the altar right it's like well you're not essential and we're just going to bankrupt you i mean so many people are suffering actually right now um who don't have essential jobs who are out of work and they were saying today on um, no agenda show about food banks being empty humanitarian crisis so wow i actually have to listen to the rest of the show
1: safe Well, uh,
2: our existence is predicated on the fact that we die, so it's never safe. Well, it's Uh, certainly bounded, right? uh, Yeah, I mean,
1: it's inevitably wrapped up with that sort of finitude. So there's this old, there's a lovely, lovely Jewish idea, an ancient idea. It's one of the most profound ideas I've ever come across. And so it's a kind of a Zen cone. And and here it is, is that um, so it's a question about the classic attributes of God, Mm. omniscient, omnipresent and omnipotent. Mm. What is a being with those three attributes lack?
2: Mm. Think,
1: well, what kind of question is that? And the answer is limitation. Yeah. And the second answer is that's the justification for being, yeah. is that the unlimited lacks the limited. Exactly. And so exactly. the limited is us.
2: For anything to come into existence, there needs to be an element of resistance. And so things are never predicated on one pole of what is always a dipole. Right. Um, everything is, has that uh dipole yeah it's like a prerequisite for being Uh, uh, it is Mm -hmm. and it's imaged in the yin yang idea um but it seems to me very important because in our culture we often seem to suppose that certain
0: things are just good and other things are just bad well there you go he talks about the yin and the yang and i think this is a great uh point to stop clipping for now even though this conversation is incredibly interesting and it's gonna go on forever. I just got my hands full. So, warning: do not reach for your stop button. I'm gonna go into a monologue soon. All right. Welcome to the second or third segment, third part of the show. <clears throat> this is where I went to, uh, to Dunkin' Donuts and I got a bag of bagels and the fresh coffee. And my hands are full now. And uh, I'm walking back to the house to bring my family some fresh bagels. And I can't um, operate the clip machine with two hands full. One hand with a hot cup of coffee. And the other hand with a big bag of bagels. I got 12 bagels, half of them everything, half of them sesame. And then... Um, I got a sausage, egg and cheese sandwich also from my, my wifey, I love her so much, <clears throat> and I just ate one myself, Now I'm sure she'll split it up into 15 pieces and give everyone a little slice, you know, like 12 people sharing the, uh, 12 people sharing the, uh, chicken leg, So, yeah, this is a really great um, interview, and I guess I'm going to have to listen to a lot more Jorgen Peterson, or Jorgen Peterson, because he already covered this guy, and it looks like I'm just missing out on things. Well, we definitely have a lot to catch up on. And, um, this is part of our education here, our education, lifelong learning, and also about sharing, because if you can't share what you're learning, you don't learn it as well. It's also like about processing what we're listening to, talking about it. It's going to make it much easier for me to remember it. It's like, oh yeah, I talked about that on podcast 158. And we're going to call this um, the uh, <coughs> right and left brain uh, bagel. Uh, the Tao of the Bagel. That's what we're going to call this episode, the Tao of the Bagel. <coughs> How uh, the right and the left brain interact An interview with... A review of the interview between Jurgen Peterson and Ian McGilchrist. I got the name right. Yeah, man, my ears itching. Life is happening. Life is happening. Well, Duncan said that they're uh, gonna be open. Like, the lobby will be open on Monday again, due to staff shortages. I guess people are on vacation, huh? <clears throat> now, wouldn't it be great, now we're going to switch topics, because this is the stream of random, and we're allowed to switch topics anytime we want. Because this is my show. So, don't be hitting the pause button or stop button. Well, this dog's got one of those electric fence collars, I bet. It won't come up all the way to me. It's just running around in the yard with its electric collar. I bet that wouldn't stop a chihuahua. They'd be like, screw that. inhibition it's about the inhibitions so um let's uh, go over some of these ideas so I saw a bolt on the ground and I'm like damn bolt look at that hardware I just sorted buckets and buckets of that And then I'm like, damn, all that hardware that I have up in the bunker, I bet I could build something with that. And then I'm like, damn, what are all the recipes that we could build with those things? Like, damn, what if we had an app that would help us um, you know, do that? Like you take pictures of all these different equipment that you have. And it'll come up with, like, things that you could build with it. So that's, like, the right brain. The left brain is, like, looking at all this stuff. And the right brain is like, well, you know, you could build this and this and this and this and this and this and this with it. It's like the infinite possibilities. Um, It's just generating unbounded sets. And the left brain is like, oh, we need to bound this. We need to bind it. We need to bring it inside of the orientation inside of the perspective the triangle the eye of the triangle so if you have the all-seeing eye at the top of the pyramid it's looking down let's say the first few layers of that all-seeing eye would be the top of the pyramid which would be your perspective or your orientation that's where the eye is looking and then the base of the pyramid, the wide part, that, that would be, like, the expanding, un, the expanding um, infinite possibilities, expanding outwards, all away from each other. You know, the pyramid could be humongous, right? So that's kind of like this pyramid thing. And... Um, I guess we could put the uh, angle of the pyramid at uh, 33, we'll call it the magic number, make it mystical, spooky, for no reason, except hey, while we're at this, let's throw in some spice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did it. So the introspect to look inside is really um, the encroachment of the mind, of the analytical mind, upon the, um, the governing mind. So it's a step towards taking a piece away or expanding the territory down into the pyramid. Maybe... And the pushback is going to be like the infinite sets. Like the resistance that you're going to encounter mostly is just the huge swamp of data that you're going to be confronted with. And unless you have a perspective, a limitation, you're not going to be able to even iterate over that because the computer or the mind only has one instruction pointer. That's what uh, the professor from MIT was saying, Patrick Winston, you only have one symbolic processing unit. And if that symbolic processing unit is busy over here, right, it can't be busy over there. It's only busy with one thing at a time. It's like the global interpreter lock. And that could be our logical symbolic mind. our left brain, the eye of the pyramid, let's say, looking at those letters, yeah, well, we've had a long, a long journey, we've had a long journey on this podcast, it's been millions of steps that we've done together, 158 episodes, we've overtaken the hog story in terms of episodes we're not going to catch up with, uh, well, eventually we're going to catch up even with Tom Woods, who's at a thousand some episodes because he's not producing on the weekend. I am. And if I do two episodes a day, like some people, like no one's ever going to listen to that. Steve Banyan in his war room, pandemic war room. I don't even listen to that. He just goes on and on and on. He, got, he has two episodes a day. Some people have three episodes a day. But they don't do it every day. So, um... Well, you know what? I'm going to uh, put this on pause. And I'm going to actually get some new input. Because maybe uh, Tim Poole has dropped some new knowledge on us. Or maybe there's something happening. Life is happening. It's the Friday... After Thanksgiving, it's the Black Friday. Let's hope that the uh, AWS is working again today. I'm going to be working today myself. I hope it's going to be a slow day where I get to work on some stuff in peace without being disturbed by other people's problems. put this on pause and see what's happening in the world. Let's get a scoop. So I'm just catching up on the No Agenda show. It's pretty hilarious. They have uh, John Kerry saying that uh, climate change will kill more people than Corona because it will cause more pandemics. So that's pretty hilarious. And the No Agenda uh, Build Back Better jingle is really great. I have to clip that. So much to do. They have great material. And it's a great listen, unlike this show. But we're not giving up yet. We're like foot fungus here. It doesn't go away that easy, you know what I'm saying? Okay, people, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this show as much as I enjoyed producing it. And of course, remember, these are just the raw clips. Eventually, we're going to, you know, create something great. And oh, I found this pumpkin on the street that people threw away. I gave it to my chickens and they're so happy. Oh my God. So happy Thanksgiving again and have a great holidays. Bye. Okay. Actually, I have one more thought. You know, I was discussing with some of my biggest fans on this podcast, family members. You know who you are. They were saying, oh, you should make a Facebook group and promote your podcast. So, if you guys want to create Facebook groups or promote the podcast yourselves, I will welcome it. But what I would like is... Uh, good morning. What I would like is, um, first, you should help me produce the episodes. So, if you want to help out in any way with this show, why don't you take an episode that you like... And clean it up. Either send it to a audio engineer and have them clean it up and produce it. Or do it yourself. Grab a copy of um, Audacity. And there's some different tutorials on podcast editing. And clean up the show. And send it to me. I'll put it in Season 3. When it reaches our strict criteria for that. Or we'll make a new season for that. We'll make Season 1.5. <clears throat> or 1.1 for guest edited shows or something, but you know the point is is that if you want to help out, promote this show, we need to get the audio cleaned up, we need to get the production done, and I don't have the time to do it. Like I'm gonna have to go to work now, and I don't have time to for this. So if you want to help out, you know you're welcome to um, take these shows and post them on YouTube. Why doesn't someone post it on YouTube? Because I got banned. You know, share it on different media. Make clips. Share it on TikTok and Instagram. You know, there's lots of things you can do. If you really want to help or hire someone to do it, go to fiverr.com and hire someone for $5 to do it. I'm sure they would love it. They would love to help out. So, um, yeah, that's it. Step by step, kids. There's the stop button.